Hey folks, this episode has a bummer warning. Uh, as you can see from the title, it is a disaster, and we're going to be talking, frankly, about things like uh, children drowning and other tragic events. So, uh, now you know. I'm Grant. And I'm Elena. And welcome to History Honeys. The podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past. That's right. We're covering the I do's and I don'ts of history. <laughs> no? Okay, next time. Next time it'll be a good one. I promise. So today... Yeah, what are we talking about here? Uh, you, you won the coin toss last time. We did. I did. I so did. So that means you're going to teach me about something. Yes. What are you going to teach me about? I'm going to teach you about the Eastland disaster. Okay. Do you, do you know much about the Eastland disaster? I, I know a bit about the Eastland disaster. I know uh, that there's a boat and it sank disastrously. Yeah. I think we're going to get into a bit more detail coming up here. A little bit. A little, a little bit. bit. So, so why don't you tell me about the Eastland disaster? Okay. So the Eastland disaster happened 101 years ago. Oh, we just missed it. The big anniversary. Yeah, yeah. They had like a big ceremony apparently um, for it. Um, there, there's going to be another thing though next month to oh, celebrate. So if you'd like to go once you learn more about this, you yeah. can uh, look into that. The SS Eastland mm -hmm. was a passenger uh, steamship. Mm -hmm. It was based in Chicago. And um, in 1915, it capsized on the Chicago River and killed almost 850 people. So very that's, uplifting. Very yeah. uplifting episode we're going to have. And, oh, I think that's uh, our closing outro song, I, I feel, coming on. Uh, no, there's more, no? There's okay. more stuff to cover. Okay. More right, stuff great. to cover. So I, this is personally one of my favorite yeah. disaster stories. Yes, I have favorite I, disaster stories. I know stories. that's a crowded list. Um, uh... It's also one of my favorite Chicago stories. Mm -hmm. A little backstory about how I know it. Mm-hmm. I first found out about the Eastland disaster through the Disney Channel original TV show, So Weird. This show was on, like, 1999 to 2001. Okay. And if you don't know what So Weird was, if you were someone who somehow missed that show, which was a great show, um, it was about uh, this family where the mom was, like, a singer, and so they traveled throughout the country on her tour. And her daughter was into really, like, paranormal stuff, kept, like, a blog when, or, like, a website mm -hmm. when it, that was, like, first a thing you started to do, um, and, like, investigated weird stuff. Um, and the pilot episode, the first episode, uh -huh. took place in Chicago, and she was haunted by the ghost of a little boy <laughs> that died in the Eastland disaster. Um, That's how I first experienced it. Those precocious ghost children launching so many beloved franchises. That that definitely led to me learning more about it. Yeah. Um, you can watch that episode on YouTube. Sure, of so course So if you can. you're interested, go find it. I believe it's called Family Reunion was the title of the episode. Is the ghost boy their ancestor or something? No, um, the place where they were performing was like by the disaster Okay. See, uh, disaster site. So, like, she randomly like walked in, like walked into a hallway where this ghost was, and then he decided to haunt her until he <laughs> she helped him be reunited with his family who died. Ghost seems like a jerk, but anyway. So, in addition to that, it is a big part of Chicago history, though a lot of people don't really know about it. Mm -hmm. um, I think it get, goes overlooked a lot, or like people know the name, but they don't really know. The details behind it. Right. Um, so we're going to get into some of that. Sure. Now. So what better place to start than to start at the very beginning? It's a very good place to start. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the ship was commissioned in 1902 uh, by the Michigan Steamship Company. Mm -hmm. And it was built by the Jenks Shipbuilding Company. It was meant to carry 500 people across the lake for like 
tourist trips kind of to serve as like a ferry that was chartered. But it was only supposed to carry 500 people when it was first made. And it was also in between like moving people. It was also supposed to like help move produce to Chicago. Oh, cool. From all the like West Michigan farms and whatnot. Yeah. Or from Northwest Indiana too. Right. And in 1903, it was named the SS Eastland, but it was actually named from a contest. It was the original Bodie McBoatface. It was the original Bodie McBoatface, which those people are jerks for not sticking with that name. Mrs. Reed, out of Michigan, submitted the name Eastland. Uh, I don't know what else was involved in this contest other than writing in a name, but she got like $10 and a season pass on the boat. So that's... (laughs) Probably really cool for 1903. She could get two season passes if she dressed up as a cabbage for the produce runs. <laughs> the boat was found to have a lot of design flaws uh-huh. immediately within its use. So like Victor Garber's looking at these plans and, and worrying about uh, the, the rudder's not big enough. It doesn't seem like people were too worried about uh, okay. it, unfortunately. <laughs> so the boat was prone to listing. Mm-hmm. Which it was uh, a BuzzFeed uh, journalist is uh, compiling a lot of gifts. Exactly, exactly. That's okay, exactly don't what it means. don't give me that. <laughs> Listing is the degree in which a boat tilts from one side to the other. Mm-hmm. It's usually because like weight is not distributed well, or um, one thing that also messed with the Eastland. In addition to it being like top heavy and its center of gravity being higher, it like didn't have a keel? Oh, well, that's something um, you're going to want. So it relied on um, ballast tanks to keep it upright. And a ballast tank, like, pumps water, like, in and out to, mm-hmm. like, redistribute weight. What if this is all Mrs. Reed's fault? Like, she was taking her season pass way up to, like, the top of the thing. And just, like, sat on the top of the yeah, boat. That's why it's top-heavy. She, she, she had her own, like, luxury suite built way up on top of the boat. I, I don't know if that was really the problem. Probably not. They kept her in the ballast tanks, unfortunately. Though that would have, like, helped, probably. Um, Mrs. Reed was not a heavy woman. Even though it had these problems, but a lot of the boat inspections, like, they never took that into account. Because, like, when the boat was underway and moving, mm-hmm. it was pretty stable. Right. The problems came when it came to, like, loading and unloading the boat. And weight was being shifted with on it. Right. Um, and most of the inspectors at the time, like, didn't care about that. The boat's not moving. What's it matter if, if the boat acts weird when it's tied to the side of a dock? That doesn't Just matter. be careful with your carrots and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of that went ignored. But le- years leading up to all this, you know, like, mm-hmm. the from when the boat was made until then, it's, like, good 12 years, there were cases of the boat being overcrowded and almost capsizing, water rushing up the gangplank from it listing too far. Um, the boat was damaged in 1903 by a tugboat hitting it. Well, it's not really the boat's fault. It's the other boat's fault. Which, which that same year... As mystery trying to find his wife. She's always taking these boat rides. This boat, this boat just had some bad luck, because that same year, there was an episode of Mutiny aboard okay. it. Oh, dear. Um, six crew members decided to stop doing their jobs and stop mm-hmm. stroking the boilers because they didn't get their share of potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> so they were arrested at gunpoint and charged with mutiny. Well, when you say they're not getting their potatoes, does that mean they, they were like working long hours and being starved? Like I'd mutiny too. <laughs> I guess they were still being fed, but they didn't feel like they were being fed their fair share okay. of, like, their um, allowed amount of food. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they I'm sure that they had reason to do what they did. People generally don't mutiny because they, they don't know what else to do that day. Yeah. So, yeah, they were arrested. The captain during that, he, uh, he did not stay captain for much longer after that. But then in following years, like, 1904, 1905, there were more incidences where the boat almost capsized and people almost fell off or water started filling up onto the boat. That happened a lot. There are lots of uh, cases of that. Nothing where anyone actually got hurt or killed, so no one cared. Right. Well, Um, I guess my question is, was this common for other, like, Michigan Steamship Company ships? Or or was the, the Eastland, like, the problem child of the fleet? It seems like a lot of the other Lake Michigan steamships were built similar, but it seems like they did not have 
the weight distribution problems okay. as much. So it at was unique in, in that case. There were no disasters, so who knows what right. got brushed under the rug and we don't remember. What I've read and researched, there doesn't seem to be other comparisons of, well, these boats also experienced these problems. Okay. In 1906, complaints were filed against the Chicago South Haven line, which had since gotten ownership of the boat, mm-hmm. um, due to its problems of listing and being dangerous. Doesn't seem like much happened out of that. And kind of the same, like, back and forth of problems, nothing really happening, more problems, no one really doing anything, continued to happen. Right. In 1914, the Eastland changed hands again and was bought by St. Joseph and Chicago Steamship Company. And that's when uh, Captain Harry Pedersen took over, and he would be the captain when the disaster happened. Oh. So we're in 1914. That's a year before the disaster. Right. In 1912, the Titanic sank. Right. We all know about the Titanic. I think we know about the Titanic. <laughs> there was a big movie about the, it. The dude hits the propeller, and that's all everybody needs to know about yeah, the Titanic. Yep. You can see Kate Winslet's boobs, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, Gaelic Storm performs. It was it was a formative moment in, in my young life. I, I think the, like, Because of Gaelic Storm, dear. Definitely because of Gaelic Storm. Probably that's was all a lot I'm for a lot of about. people. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, so the sinking of the Titanic happened in 1912, and that led to... An international push for more lifeboats on boats. The idea was that there should be enough lifeboats for 75% of the passengers. Not even 100%. Okay, okay. 75% of the passengers. Was somebody haggling during this? Well, actually, that's at least what U.S. Congress wanted. Maybe in, like, France or England or something, they decided to be great and cover everyone. Who who came up with this number? U.S. Congress required 75% of vessels' passengers must be able to fit in boats. How do you pick the other 25? (laughs) This is the worst duck-duck-goose game I've ever played. And here's the thing. It is worded as 75% of vessels' passengers. But a lot of times, wording doesn't include crew as a passenger. Right. So, so like, are they including the crew in that? Or are they not including the crew as passengers? So maybe you're down to like 50% of the boat's whole population. This is a great question um, that I probably should have looked more into. But it's interesting. In 1915, President Woodrow Wilson signed this bill into effect. And it was called the La Follette Siemens Act. Okay. Um, La Follette being French for three quarters, I think. <laughs> Just some of them. Some of them need to get on some boats. Hey, if they got 75% of the votes, they, they are uh, in office for life. This bill did not come without controversy. And it wasn't for the fact that we are only requiring votes for 75% of the people. It was the fact that a lot of the Great Lakes vessels mm-hmm. were built like the Eastland, where right. it didn't have a huge keel. They weren't made for that much more weight. Right. So, so, like, if, if you hung uh, lifeboats off the side, it would be even more unstable. Yeah. So, like... In this case. There, there's actually um, a note about the general manager of the Detroit and Cleveland Navigation Company. He, like, warned, like, boats are going to capsize due to this weight that you are making us add. They couldn't have added, like, a, a clause saying, new ships built from this date? Come, yeah. Come on, Woodrow. You think there could have been, like, some... Ma- man maybe- to man, Woody... Let's let's rap about this. Let's, let's do a study and look at what how much boats currently, how much they could hold current ones that are yeah. made, and how can we adjust this um, so we're not putting them even more in danger. Right. The Eastland, when it was made, was made to carry six lifeboats. Sure. By July of 1915, it was carrying 11 lifeboats, 37 life rafts, which the life rafts were apparently like 1,100 pounds each. Goodness. And 2,570 life jackets at six pounds each. So that's like almost 15,500 pounds of life jackets. This led to another mutiny because now they had no room for any potatoes whatsoever. (laughs) No potatoes. So as you can guess, because of the amount of like boats and life jackets they had, between when the boat was built and now, the boat was continually like change to be able to allow more and more and more people right to be on it a lot, of, a lot of refits a lot of refits a lot of redesigns let's let's get more people on board this boat that's a lot of stuff compared to what it started off with mm-hmm. and uh 
obviously, you don't put lifeboats inside the boat. You put it on the top, along the sides, upper deck. So now an already top-heavy boat Mm -hmm. has tens of thousands of pounds more (laughs) on top of it. Can Um, we fill these ballast tanks with boats? Another thing to keep in mind Mm -hmm. with boat stability is um, what's known as a metacentric height. Right. So that's, you know, floating objects are like upside down pendulums. Mm -hmm. And center of gravity, ability to roll from one side to another. And the distance from being like upright um, to the maximum heel, which is like the point beyond it will capsize. Right. Is the, the, the list of no return. Yeah. The list of no return is a metacentric height. Okay. The changes that were made to the Eastland before its disaster had reduced its metacentric height to four inches. <laughs> so if it if it leaned four inches, it was leaning the rest of the inches. Probably. Basically. Yeah. That's what that it, means. It was pretty like, there, there was not a lot of room for uh, error in there. <laughs> Things were going to go bad no matter what. The disaster happens when it is used to get people from a company to a picnic being used to take people on an excursion. Right. The same company that we're going to talk about shortly used this boat the previous year okay. as well. Sure. So they used it two years in a row. For two picnics in a row. Two picnics in a row. The Eastland version they used in 1914 was basically a completely different boat because <laughs> it did not have all these lifeboats. It did not have these life jackets. It did not right, have these life right. rafts. Apparently, several tons of concrete were also laid on the boat to, like, stop rotting wood on the decks and floors, between the two picnics. Uh-huh. Imagine all the people climbing on, like, oh, I thought they were getting the same boat. This is a completely different this boat. This is a completely different boat. Is this the Eastland 2? Are they all called Eastland? My word. Oh, no, we're dead. Oh, no. That's, that's a dramatic reenactment. Yeah. 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 On July 24th, 1915, mm-hmm. the Eastland, along with four other passenger steamers. Okay. Yeah, the Theodore Roosevelt, the Petoskey... They were seen in the Rochester. Okay. They were charted to take people on this picnic. Now, they were charted by um, the Western Electric Company. It was like their annual company picnic. All employees got to go. Their Mm -hmm. families, they all boarded the boats in the Chicago River, and they were going to go to Michigan City, Indiana. The thing is, this was a huge event for people. Mm -hmm. Like, these people worked six days a week. None of them got Saturdays off, you know, like... These, these are working class people. They didn't have money to go on trips, um, even like a day trip. It was very, very rare. Yeah. So they all came like dressed in their best clothing for mm-hmm. the, the biggest outing. They were all going to feel. Yeah. It's, for them, it was like they were first class passengers it's, on the Titanic. It's electric company thing. prom. Yeah. Electric company prom. There we go. Sure. So on that morning, the boat was docked on the south bank of the Chicago River. Mm-hmm. Um, between Clark and LaSalle. Yeah, I'm picturing yeah. it. Picturing cool, it, cool. seeing it. Okay, <laughs> you can look that up on a map if you don't know Chicago geography. So it was there by 6 a.m., 6.30. Because there were multiple boats taking these people out, There was, they say that there was like 7,300 employees there. Goodness. To go on these boats. There was also several thousand other people there for other business, mm-hmm. selling stuff. You know, you have... Like 10,000 people along this area of the river. Right. It's kind of a chilly, damp morning. Mm-hmm. But it was, the water was really calm. You know, it was going to be a really nice day. Yeah, they were like waiting for the sun to come out. It's the river. It doesn't get choppy. <laughs> not, not this river anyway. Hey, hey. Sometimes if the water's high, if it's windy, it's gross out. But it, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, so people were arriving. They had bands playing to entertain Aww. people. By 7, 10 a.m., the Eastland was at capacity, which from our original 500-person boat, mm-hmm. the boat now held 2,572 people. I'd like to note this is two more people than lifeboats. Life jackets. Life jackets. They're not getting life jackets. They can get on boats, but they're not getting life jackets. I'm going to just skip ahead a little bit and say that it doesn't make much difference. <laughs> with a little bit of historical uh, uh, hindsight. You know, I'd be that person there with my clipboard being like, uh-uh, you two ain't getting on. You don't have no life jackets. Well, according to President Wilson, only 75% of people need to have life jackets. I guess. So the Eastland was supposed to be the first to leave mm-hmm. as well that morning. Since it was kind of chilly, uh, some of the people moved below deck 
mm-hmm. to get out of the wind. But a lot of people stayed above to enjoy the music, to wave at uh, friends and family who were getting on other boats. Mm-hmm. Um, also, just to be seen, because it's really cool for them to be on this boat and get to yeah. go on this bon trip. voyage, you mean bon voyage. Yeah. Da, 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 da. yeah. Yes. That song hadn't been written yet. I'm sorry. <laughs> Shortly after this, the ship began to list slightly to the port side. Oh, man. Um, Four inches. <laughs> the crews tried to stabilize it mm-hmm. by opening one of the ballast tanks. Ballast sure. tanks. Ballast tanks. Gotta make sure I'm saying it right now. Within 13 minutes... They had stabilized it again, but then it started to list even further. So water was like pouring up the gangplanks into the engine rooms. Oh, well, now you Crews were like hopping out of the engine room because they knew nothing good was coming. (laughs) They don't pay me enough potatoes for this. I'm out. So at 728, the Eastland listed to a 45 degree angle. That seems a lot more than the four inches. Yep. Uh. It is. A piano... Um, that was on the deck, rolled into a wall. A refrigerator apparently fell. Some women got crushed by these things. Oh, no. Um, and within two minutes after that, it had completely rolled on its side. Oh. The Chicago River was only 20 feet deep. Mm-hmm. So the boat was laying on the bottom of the river on its side by 730, still tied to the dock. And I guess with that, uh, we're going to take a quick break. Well, uh, I go have a drink and a cry, I think. (laughs) We'll be right back. I, yeah, I wish I had a tissue and I just blew my nose there. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> so the Eastland, after a history of, of uh, listing issues and maintenance problems, has sunk to the bottom of a 20-foot murky river with uh, an above-capacity crowd. What happened next? Well, to continue on with this cheery, cheery story, which only gets cheerier, mm-hmm. since the ship... Rolled so quickly. There was no time, obviously, to pull out any life jackets right. or lifeboats or anything. I mean, half the boats are also on the They're bottom of the all river. all crushed. As the boat settled mm-hmm. in the river, a lot of passengers that were above deck were either, like, thrown into the river. Mm-hmm. Some were able to just, like, climb over the starboard side railing and, like, walk across the exposed side of the boat to shore. Right, to like, the dock, because it's, like, right there. Never never even, like, getting their feet wet. Like a barrel roll, but slower. Yeah. And not round. Um, apparently, the Eastland's captain was able to do this. He was able just to walk across. Well, yeah, he's got work to do. <laughs> he's got to pilot one of these other boats now. So he hopped off the boat, climbed off the side, onto the shore, and immediately to the unemployment office. Yeah. Because he's got to look for a new job. Yep. Yeah. Oh, well, there goes my boat. Time to get a new job. Some people are able to do that. Some people were able to swim to shore, but hundreds of people were trapped inside the boat, mm-hmm. inside the hull of the boat. Um, because it was so close to the dock, still attached, you know, still tied up, um, response crews were very quick. Right. You know, people who were waiting to board other boats or just in the area for work quickly tried to jump in and help with rescue efforts. Pulling people out of water. Some tried to throw things into the river that people could like float on, but right. that went wrong in some cases. And people were like hit with like crates oh, and no. then like just sunk to the bottom of the river. Oh no! Um. So you know, don't don't throw it directly at them. Throw it kind of by them. Life saving technique one hundred and one, right there. Yeah, th- this was after the publication of the first Boy Scout handbook. You have no excuse. <laughs> no excuse whatsoever. Um, People were pulled from the water. Rescuers cut through the hull with torches mm-hmm. um, as soon as they could get them, which they say that like 40 people were able, able to be saved that way. There are some stories about various people who helped in saving people, including there was a nurse by the name of Helen Ripa. Okay. She was going to the outing. Like she worked for the company. 
Okay. She was an um, electric company nurse. Yeah. And she, she was going, getting there a little later. She was supposed to be on one of the other boats. Um, and she, like, got off her trolley very shortly after it happened. Like, they could hear the screams and the yelling yeah. after it happened. Um, and she quickly ran to the scene to try to help. Um, she's credited for offering on-site medical attention, helping people get to hospitals, which the hospitals were quickly overcrowded. Mm-hmm. Um She's also said to have called uh, the Marshall Fields Company and, like, had them send over, like, 500 blankets. She called restaurants and stuff, had them send over food for people who were getting um, pulled out of the water. People who had, like, minor injuries, she apparently, like, flagged down random cars going by and, like, asked them to take these people who had minor injuries, like, home. Yeah. And I guess, like, apparently, it's it's said that... That no, boat is sinking. You're a taxi now. Yeah. Take them home. It's said that none of these people said no. Everyone yeah. was just like, okay, like, pile the people in. Let me mm-hmm. take them all away from this because they just have some bumps and scrapes. Yeah. It's better for them to just be home now. And there's other stories, too, of, you know, people who jumped in, people who pulled so many people out. But even with the quick response, mm-hmm. uh, 844 passengers died and four crew members. Well, I'm glad that a dashing captain managed to survive. I I think his heroism will long be remembered. A few interesting facts about the deaths of people. Mm -hmm. It's hard to say, I guess, these are interesting. I find it interesting, but then I feel like that makes me sound like a horrible person. It's good we waited an extra year, because once it's 101... It's okay to talk about this? Okay. A lot of the people who died that morning, Mm -hmm. you would assume died from, like, drowning, right? They were stuck in the bottom of a river, so yes. Okay, so coroner and medical examiner, like, records and statements. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the cases, people actually died from suffocation. Isn't drowning just a form of suffocation? So, but but this dr- is, like, drowning, distinctly... Drowning implies dry that suffocation. water... Okay. Water is involved, and you stop breathing because water is in your lungs, and you, right. you can't breathe in that. Suffocation is when, like, you you don't have the ability to breathe. Okay. So most of the people who died, they feel like, were probably crushed to death. They were buried under either people or things that were on the boat. Like that piano, that refrigerator. Yes. Or think about there's hundreds of people in this boat, and the inside, mm-hmm. the boat shifts, everyone is laying on top of people. Yeah. Chances are they stopped breathing before the water leaked into the hold. Thus, oh. they suffocated, not drowned. Oh. It's also, like, the largest loss of life from a shipwreck in the Great Lakes. Take that, Gordon Lightfoot. <sighs> Write me a song about this one next time. What? That wasn't a passenger ship. They so, s- of course, it was less people. Well, they still died. How <laughs> come they get a song? Technically, mm-hmm. the Eastland had more passenger deaths than the Titanic. Oh. So the Titanic had like 1,500 people die. Mm-hmm. 815 were passengers. The rest were crew. So if you want to get all technical and break it down. Because crew aren't people. Crew aren't considered people in a lot of this terminology. <laughs> it's very interesting. The, but, but you still couldn't make a Titanic movie about the Eastland. Like, just imagine yeah. how fast it would have to go. Like, hi, I'm Jack. I'm Rose. Here's my chest. Okay, I'm going to try to kill myself. We got that out of order. Doesn't matter. Oh, now we're dead. Like, it would be a real short movie. It would. It would. But yeah, so 815 passengers on the Titanic to 844 on the Eastland. But then you got to factor in all the crew, and it's yeah. a very different loss of life. But that's just an interesting fact, though, when you look at how unknown the Eastland is compared mm-hmm. to the Titanic. And... I'm willing to bet a lot more crystal chandeliers were lost in the Titanic. Yes. 70% of the dead were under 25 years old. Oh, why'd you have to tell me that? And 22 entire families died. Oh. This is just a happy episode, you guys. Welcome to history, honeys, where I just want to go back to bed. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I'm here for you. So by 8 a.m., Some people say it took a lot longer. Some people say by 8 a.m. Most of the survivors had been pulled from the water. Okay. 30 minutes, everyone that could be saved was saved. Mm -hmm. Though there is an account that a couple days later, as they were still clearing wreckage, a baby was apparently found from inside the boat. Did you know that babies cannot drown? (laughs) They can't. 
there's something special about babies' throats where they like close up oh. when they're submerged underwater. Is that why like baby swimming so popular? It's why baby swimming's a thing. It's why the Nirvana album cover isn't child abuse. <laughs> I always thought that, I didn't realize that was like that's a real that's a real baby. I mean, I knew it was a baby, like a real baby, but I didn't realize it was like actually in water. It's a real submerged baby. Whoa! But yeah, so some accounts say that like that that this baby was found a couple days later. Um, I don't think it was actually like in water, but it was found like in some type of like bubble, kind of protected by Aww. a bunch of bodies, and it was just mm-hmm. sitting in this little corner. And it was surviving by eating someone's face, and the baby became Wendigo. It did not go into those details. Okay. One of the worst jobs of this whole thing Mm -hmm. was all the divers. The divers that had to go and find the bodies. They had to pull the bodies out of the inside of the boat, pull the bodies out of the bottom of the river. It said that they worked nonstop. Mm -hmm. Um, So there were a few people who kind of went crazy after their shifts. You don't say. (laughs) I mean, it's not that surprising. Yeah. They also had to set up large like fishing nets to stop bodies from floating out into the lake. Oh, because that's great for tourism right there. Yeah. Come to sunny Chicago. We have soot, garbage, (laughs) and a river full of corpses. Man, this ad's going to get a lot better in about 60 years. (laughs) As the casualties mounted, um, they had to have makeshift morgues. Mm -hmm. Because obviously traditional places you take bodies were not made to they house this many didn't have the volume they didn't have the volume well they could just take we get uh down the road to macy's there's a lot of floor space right there An interesting fact not not related to this but for a different disaster apparently the macy's was used as like a hospital oh okay for, um they really off. have everything you need <laughs> but coming back to this so the second regiment Armory, mm-hmm. which would later become the site of Harpo Studios. Oprah. Who knows what it's going to be now? She's moving. Yeah. She, well, she's already gone. Like, yeah. they've already, like, closed it up. There's no one I don't think working in there anymore. And I think I know why. Where the armory was is what became Oprah's place. Mm-hmm. It was the largest makeshift morgue they used, but there are um, records that it, up to, like, ten other places were used to house bodies. Some of them only housed a couple. Some of them housed, like, a hundred. So there's various other locations. Um, none of them are really that known. Oh, that's of... not true. There's one that's pretty well known. Well. There, I have been told by many people, including the owners of this establishment, that there's a nightclub currently called Castle. That, they they uh, closed. That, that, okay. It was Excalibur. It became Castle. I believe Bo- now it is closed. now closed as well. But in any case, under all of the different management they had, they were very proud that this building was used uh, back in the day as a makeshift morgue and is now haunted and they do ghost tours. Yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently it's a lie. But I told people about this. Yeah. Out of town friends. Um, I'm like, hey, you yeah, know. Yeah, I thought this too. I thought this too. I, I only, through research for this episode, mm-hmm. found out that it's apparently urban legend. I'm Where this misconception came from mm-hmm. was pictures, some of the pictures that were taken that showed, like, bodies of yeah. these makeshift morgues had the Chicago Historical Society written on it, which that building of those nightclubs used to be the original Chicago Historical Society. Right. The thing is, that was not written to show the location that it was from. It was supposed to be showing people who own these pictures who so took was, these pictures it was a photo credit not... it was a photo credit oh, not goodness. a photo location which is apparently why it is so well known that that's another location but it's actually not true i'm livid and i'm glad they're out of business <laughs> yeah i was pretty like what but ridiculous but... so that that place is not part of it something that happened with this as it happens with all other disasters mm-hmm is it becomes, like, a tourist attraction. Sure. Because of weirdos. Like you. No, I do not (laughs) rush to disaster sites. I do not. You just wait 101 years. Yes. Okay. But they say, like, 500,000 people came to, like, view the Eastland disaster over the next couple days. Um, Boat owners offered tours down the river for, like, 10 cents. That's Um, just the entrepreneurial spirit alive and well. I mean, it, of course, made, like, front page news, as it would, because it's a huge news story. Mm-hmm. There was 
uh, film taken that ended up in news reels, which an interesting fact there, all the film footage was thought lost. Uh-huh. And it's only within the past couple of years that they've been finding some of it. Oh, that's fantastic. Just just this past year, um, one of the like largest chunks of film was found, I believe it was like a Paris newsreel. Okay. Um, that was being re like restored by I think an English company or was an English newsreel that was being restored by a Paris company. One of the two. Mm -hmm. I think it was the first I said though. Um and you can actually view that online. Oh. There's some uh, websites that have put up this film footage that has been found. And we'll be sure to, to link that in the show notes. It's not like the boat actually, like, falling over. Right. Um, it's A lot of it is the days following mm -hmm. and the cleanup process. That's usually what the film footage is of. Oh, but okay. it's quite shocking to see this boat in the river. On July 28th, a couple days later, mm -hmm. it was basically considered, like, funeral day across Chicago. Right. Um, there weren't enough hearses, Oof. so Marshall's Fields provided 39 trucks. They really do have everything. As hearses. Grave diggers apparently worked 12 hours a day, and they couldn't keep up with the demand of graves that were needed. Uh. Um, but by the end of that day, 700 of the victims were buried. Good start, I guess. Oh. Now, by July 29th, all of the bodies had been claimed. Except one. Ah. Uh. This one was at the Armory Morgue. It was a young boy who they had numbered 396, and they had nicknamed him Little Feller. This... <laughs> Your face right now is <laughs> something. Is this supposed to be the little boy from that Disney Channel show? Was it Little Feller? Pretty sure where this has got their information, because okay. just continue to listen here. Okay. The body was taken to a funeral home where they mm -hmm. were going to lay it to rest to, without knowing who it was. An anonymous funeral. Two of his friends recognized him. Uh, the boy's name was Willie Novanti. Okay. He was seven years old. He hadn't been claimed because his entire immediate family died on the Eastland disaster. His parents and his older sister. I mean, okay. It's kind of surprising that it only happened once, you know? It is surprising because, I mean, 22 whole families died. But right. I think you had, like... The other 21 had a neighbor, like, yep, that's all of them? Yeah, or, like, grandma or... Yeah. Which, apparently, this boy's grandma was eventually able to, like, confirm mm. it due to his suit that he was wearing. Mm -hmm. Like, he was wearing a brand new suit mm. on this trip, and the suit had come with two pairs of pants. And she brought, like, the other pair the other he had pair. at home to, like, confirm that it was, like, the same pants he was wearing. Due to those similarities and to the So Weird episode, mm -hmm. pretty sure that's where they got their storyline from, is from this child. Um, you okay? I'm doing fine. <laughs> okay. It's my job to tell the jokes today. <laughs> Hooray. I think we need like a disclaimer on this episode. Like, If you're feeling a little depressed, don't listen. Wait till oh, you're feeling good. Goodness. It has um, disaster right in the name. It's, it's all I can do. He and his whole family were able to be buried together um, mm -hmm. on July 31st. Uh, it's said that like 5,000 people were able to attend the funeral Aww. for this family. With death comes ghost stories, though. Yeah, some, some spookums. Um, there aren't really a lot of like very detailed ghost stories mm -hmm. in relation to the Eastland disaster. But there are stories. The... Armory. There's been a lot of like ghost sightings there. A lot of, you know, doors opening and closing, people thinking they see people, hearing moaning, hearing crying. Mm -hmm. um, I I've heard that the night security office is like in a little building out in the parking lot. Yeah. Because so many of the security guards saw things or got creeped out like no i'm not going to be in the building all night yeah it's like across the sidewalk or something yeah. and they have like a little hut that they hang in so they don't have to be in the building but there's also there was something about the i think it was the lady in gray Ooh, a lot of people that's said evocative. to have seen this this woman dressed in gray walking through the halls there's not really any other detail on who they think she might be or or anything like that um there's also stories about the chicago river Oh, well, that makes um, sense. People hearing cries, screaming, as mm -hmm. wa walking over the bridges that go over the river. Um, apparently, there's been a couple of cases where people thought they saw people in the river. 
and then they jumped in to try to save them, only right. to like find that there's no one there. And yeah. once a year, that person turns bright green. Because of St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, because of St. Patrick's So there's lot, lots of stories about that stuff. You know, if you, you believe in ghosts, I guess there's some good spots for you to go to to get You know where you on. shouldn't go? <laughs> to the former Chicago Historical Society building, which is now a double out-of-business nightclub because there are a bunch of liars and con artists. That's where you shouldn't go. Makes me wonder, like... If all these people who are like, ooh, I saw a ghost. Okay, are they just lying? Or did a lot of people get murdered there? <laughs> What's the secrets? <laughs> Newspapers apparently played a pretty significant role in what happened after the disaster. Okay. Um, They focused a lot on who to blame and, like, why it happened. Um, Probably something to do with that four-inch uh, uh, leeway they had. Yeah, so a lot of people feel that it helped pave the way for more discussions on, like, corruption, capitalism, um, and issues within the city and companies. Mm -hmm. And even, like, throughout, like, journalism, just, like, the way people are used, things are covered up, what's seen as more important or not. Right. After the disaster, there were um, at least two trials to try to figure out blame within this. So there was a criminal trial that was held shortly after all the parties were found not guilty. But the system, man. Let's put the system on trial. A large part about, like, why no one was charged with anything is because of the charges that were brought against the ship owner, the mm -hmm. captain, crew, company, individuals, etc. They were that it was a conspiracy to operate an unsafe ship. Okay. And the courts were like, no one conspired to cause this disaster and all these right. people to die. No one wanted this to happen. Like, I mean, I said it in a goofy voice, but really it is a systemic thing. Yeah. It's everybody doing the best they can with what they had. Yeah. Somebody made a top-heavy ship 15 years earlier -ish. That was supposed to carry a third of the passengers. Yeah, and it just had a bunch of weird retrofits and was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. So nothing came of that trial. There was another trial um, that that did lead to a payout to victims' families. So the civil trial determined the actual claims mm -hmm. and payout. Liability of the ship owners and crew. Um, this trial didn't happen and finish. Like, it didn't end until 20 years later. Oh, goodness. Uh, and the court determined at the time that the chief engineer was to blame. Mm-hmm. That was the only charge that stuck from the well, entire trial. It was the civil charge against the, yes. the engineer. The charge against him was criminal negligence and not maintaining the ballast system properly. Okay. All right. Can we also charge whoever had the clipboard that let two more people on <laughs> than they had life vests? I don't know if anyone actually had that clipboard. I was just saying, like, okay. I would have that clipboard. I'm, I want to see the person who didn't have the clipboard but should have. No, here's where things get even, like, worse on top of things being bad. Oh, okay. Virtually nothing was paid out to families. Of course. The civil lawsuit limited the payouts to the victims' families to be, like, the value of the Eastland's hull. And at the time, that was, like, $50,000. So they can't pay more than the ship cost? Yeah. Like, Why? the ship was worth. Why? I... I don't really know. How is that what their liability counts as? People's lives are being measured against... The boat. A boat. Yeah. Great. Great. Cool. Thanks. Now, Thanks, 1930s court system. So they've said, like, $50,000. Mm-hmm. Prior to money going to victims' families, the owner of the Eastland had to pay other claims. Right. So they had to pay the company that pulled the boat out of the river. Mm -hmm. They had to pay the concession companies, the creditors, etc. Everyone before the families. So of like the $50,000, mm -hmm. 35000 went to raise the boat out of the river. And like 15000 ish went to pay all the creditors and everything. Basically, there was no money left over. So there was no money. So this lawsuit that seems to be about, you know, who's to blame for these needless deaths... Is really a bunch of companies like, okay, I did my work. Who's going to pay my bill? Yeah. 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 Okay, fantastic. Um, any money that did go to victims' families um, ended up coming from the company that the families worked for. 
or um, special efforts from the city of Chicago and the American Red Cross. Great. So in August of 1915, so like a month later, month later, they salvaged the Eastland out of the river, mm-hmm. and it was sold to the Naval Reserve. Got a lot of scrap metal and concrete uh, to work with here. <laughs> so they did restorations and modifications, and it became a gunboat. Oh, and was okay. renamed the USS Willamette well, in it, 1918. It makes perfect sense because it's already killed so many people. Thing is, it saw no combat. <laughs> the boat never saw combat. It was primarily it's, a training vessel. I would wager it has a higher body count than any other gunboat in probably, World War One. Probably. It did get to sink a U-boat <laughs> in Lake Michigan. Oh, okay. Sure. Um, it was in charge of sinking the UC-97. Um, it was a U-boat that was surrendered after World War One. Huh. So it got, like, in Lake Michigan, it got the job of, like, firing... Added and sinking it to the bottom of the lake. Why would they sink it? I couldn't really find out why. Is Even like going to like the Wikipedia page for that U-boat, it's just like <laughs> it was boat and it was turned over. Had they not invented <laughs> awesome museums like MSI who might give it a home? I guess I guess they didn't like care about that at the time. I guess. So boat was just worked as like a training vessel. It did get to transport uh, President Franklin D. Roosevelt. Oh, that's nice. So, like, I think it was Wisconsin or something. Along with some other people, but he was the most, like, well-known person on the boat. Let's just make sure not too many people ride with uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Or <laughs> Let's will, kill the president. We're going to change what? the course of history. That'd be some, that would have been something if that would have happened. That, that, that would be changed. the weirdest, like, time-traveling assassination ever. Oof. You just get 2,000 people to stand on one side of this <laughs> boat. So, the USS Wilmette. Mm-hmm. Operated on and off. Like, it kept coming in and out of service um, until 1945. In 1946, um, it was put up for sale, and no one wanted to buy it. I can imagine. <laughs> it's got quite a history there. So it was sent to the Hyman Michaels Company for scrapping, and it was scrapped. And once you scrap with Hyman, uh, it's never coming back. Now you're making a face. <laughs> yeah. So, present day, there is not a lot to be seen or to view to, like, remember that this happened. There Mm -hmm. is a commemorative, like, marker along the river, plaque. So is it there by, like, LaSalle and Clark then? Yes. Somewhere? Okay. Um, It was put up in 1989. It was stolen in 2000. Probably by the power company. They're trying Um, to perpetrate this severe (laughs) cover-up. But it was replaced in 2003. Okay. Um, there is like a Eastland Disaster Historical Society. Okay. Um, they're the ones that actually uh, organized that like 100 year anniversary thing last year. And they're doing another one this year. Um, their website has some really interesting like survivor stories. Oh. Um, of just various people who were confirmed to have survived, who were on the boat. Um Lots of pictures that are really neat. Um, part of their website's still in the works, though. Like, I would okay. say about half of it's up, half of it isn't quite there yet. So hopefully... But if you're looking for happy endings, they have some. <laughs> they have some silver linings for you. There's also, um, there's actually, like, a Chicago Maritime Museum that it is okay. opening, like, this weekend. Oh, fantastic. Um, so I'm curious to know if, like, they're going to have special stuff on this or not. I don't I don't know. I haven't heard anything about it. Maybe but... we'll do a, a special update. Yeah, we'll we'll see if there's any information there. Um, but that's, that's really all there is to it. There's not like special things in the museums, other museums about it. There's not. Did a the lot. Chicago History Museum have a a thing? I don't remember. If it did, it might have been like one artifact and a little plaque. Yeah. There's really not a lot, and um, considering it was such a huge disaster i think it's honestly mostly remembered for haunting oprah yeah and supposedly haunting this stupid nightclub full of liars and charlatans really that is the only reason people know it is because of these haunting stories of like oh yeah that's where they took all those dead bodies from that shipwreck yeah yeah no no one or some people vaguely know that like where it happened on the river but they Mm -hmm. don't really know like, I feel like people don't know, there was a lot of things that could have been avoided yeah. within this. And I think one thing that's interesting is a quote I saw online from the president of the Eastland Disaster Historical Society. Mm-hmm. And he was talking, it was from a much larger thing that was talking about why the Eastland is 
such a small part of Chicago history and and shipwreck across the history. entire world and history, you know, shipwreck history. And that theory is kind of like there wasn't anyone rich or famous on board, um, is what he said. He's he also said it was all hardworking, salt of the earth immigrant families. Right. There's no romance to people going to a company picnic in Michigan City. Yeah. People who couldn't afford to do anything else, so they were taking this time to wear their Sunday best mm -hmm. to go on a company picnic. People who are just as worthy of human dignity, absolutely, yeah. but it doesn't stick in, like, the, the national imagination, unfortunately. Yeah. So that's his theory, which I think makes complete sense about why it's been forgotten so much. Yeah. Um, and one thing that's interesting is um, Carl Sandburg, the mm -hmm. poet, but at the time of the disaster, he was primarily known as a journalist. Right. He wasn't really known as a poet yet. He wrote about it. And he, in addition to writing, like, articles about it where he mm -hmm. criticized um, what happened, um, people overlooking safety, not viewing these people as being worthy of safety. Right. He also wrote, like, a poem that is about the disaster, which you're going to read for us. Yeah. That kind of captures this idea of why the Eastland is forgotten and why no one cares. <laughs> so, so here's that. Uh, the Eastland by Carl Sandburg. Let's be honest now for a couple of minutes, even though we're in Chicago. Since you ask me about it, I let you have it straight. My guts ain't ticklish about the Eastland. It was a hell of a job, of course, to dump 2,500 people in their clean picnic clothes, all ready for a whole lot of real fun, down into the dirty Chicago River without any warning. Women and kids, wet hair and scared faces, the coroner hauling truckloads of the dripping dead to the second regiment armory where doctors waited, with useless pulmotors and the 800 motionless stiff, lay ready for their relatives to pick them out on the floor and take them home and call up the undertaker. Well, I was saying, my guts ain't ticklish about it. I got imagination. I see a pile of 3,000 dead people, killed by the con, tuberculosis, too much work and not enough fresh air and green groceries, a lot of cheap roughnecks and the women and children of Wapsk, and hardly any bankers and corporation lawyers or their kids die from the con. 3,000 a year in Chicago and 150,000 a year in the United States, all from the con and not enough fresh air and green groceries. If you want to see excitement, more noise and crying than you've ever heard in one of these big disasters the newsboys can clean up on, go and stack in a high pile all the babies that die in Christian Philadelphia, New York, Boston, and Chicago in one year before aforesaid babies haven't had enough good milk. On top of the pile, put all the little early babies pulled from mothers willing to be torn with abortions rather than bring more children into the world. Jesus, that would make a front-page picture for the Sunday papers. And you could write under it, Morning Glories, born from the soil of love, yet now perished. Have you ever stood and watched the kids going to work of a morning? White faces, skinny legs and arms slouching along, rubbing the sleep out of their eyes on the go to hold their jobs? Can you imagine a procession of all the whores of a big town marching and marching with painted faces and mocking struts, all the women who sleep in faded hotels and furnished rooms with any man coming along with a dollar or five dollars? Or all the structural iron workers, railroad men, and factory hands in mass formation with stubs of arms and stumps of legs, bodies broken and hacked while bosses yelled, Speed, no slack, go to it! Or two by two, all the girls and women who go to the hind doors of restaurants and through the alleys and on the market street, digging into the garbage barrels to get scraps of stuff to eat? By the living Christ, these would make disaster pictures to paste on the front pages of the newspapers. Yes, the Eastland was a dirty, bloody job. Ugh. I see a dozen Eastlands every morning on my way to work, and a dozen more going home at night. So that's what Carl Sandburg had to say uh, about the coverage yes. of the Eastland and other issues of the day. Yes. And, and as you could easily tell, he has a lot of uh, feelings about conspiracy in there, and almost. And put the system on trial, man. Yep. It, it all comes back. It all comes back to that. So that is uh, the Eastland disaster. 
Yep. An unfortunate and tragic story about a case where less lifeboats may have been safer. Yeah. Uh, a case where, you know, a dozen years of little things and mistakes add up to an incredible tragedy with no one really clearly at fault. Like, yeah. Who, who do you blame? Yeah, that was, uh, that is the great debate of it. Mm-hmm. And there was some interesting stuff with, like, um, interview, well, trial interviews with, mm-hmm. like, the owner of the boat. And they were trying to put blame on him. And it was kind of one of those things where he's like, well, I just write checks for these people to then do their jobs like i don't know and in a way you're like well you should know but then at the same time well he knows nothing about that yeah so how would he know it's wrong the inspector just said there was problems but good enough yeah am i gonna question that and if you look at how many times that boat changed hands within a dozen years you're not necessarily gonna have the full history of the ship in your hands to know like what it should be like and shouldn't be like, and that's not original, and that is, and it's, it's, so, a hard, it's a hard thing. All we can hope is to remember the event and remember some of the people and hopefully learn something so that uh, cases like this, completely avoidable cases where it, it takes a thousand little mistakes, mm-hmm. don't happen again. So did you learn some stuff about it? I learned some stuff. I did, is it I, stuff you wish you didn't learn? No, <laughs> but it's uh, it's a downer. It's certainly a downer. I'll try to pick a more uplifting topic next time. Well, Pro- it probably it, won't it happen. It might not be you next it time. It might not be me. It that's, might be you. We got to decide that. That's our segue. Thank you. <laughs> So, like you said, it is time to do the coin flip. So, uh, we did that earlier, and here it is. Do you want to still be heads? Sure. Because I have such a cute tail? Yes. Okay, let's see how it goes. Here we go. Uh, (laughs) It looks like it's your turn again, dear. It's my turn again. Oh, man. I'll get a turn eventually. Eventually. And we're back. We're back. (laughs) We did it. That was awesome. Great, great flipping. So uh, that means the the next one uh, you're going to do again, right? Kind of. Kind of. Kind of. I would, mm-hmm. except I'm getting teeth ripped out of my mouth. <laughs> so we're going to take that coin flip and put a little weak break in there. Yeah, I'm going to pinch it on episode three and that, uh, the, the coins will be done uh, for episode four. So that brings us to some housekeeping, uh, some messages, some listener mail. Before we get to that, I'd like to thank listener Darnell for being so attentive. Yay, Yay Darnell! In our sort of publicity run-up to launching, uh, we were giving out some clues and wondering if anybody would guess what the topic would be. And the first person to post a guess was Darnell, so good job. This yes. wasn't like a contest. There's no prize, but I just thought it deserved recognition. Well, and 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 Darnell got like details, details. right? Darnell wasn't just like this one thing. He basically laid out our episode, yeah, and that was awesome. So you can see that message on our uh, Facebook page. Uh, you can also connect with us on Twitter. Those are both just history honeys. We also got some emails and you can send us emails at a uh, history honeys podcast at gmail.com. That's all one word. History honeys podcast. Yes. Make sure you get podcast in there because otherwise it's not us. Returning writer uh, Purin this week's prompt was boats. So we get even more boats. Yay. In particular, the USS William D Porter nicknamed Willie D that uh, apparently has at least five tales worth telling. Including a time when the Willie D was escorting the USS Iowa to northern Africa. The Iowa was carrying a uh, very valuable cargo, that being President Roosevelt and the High War Command for the Big Three Conference. Willie D accidentally fired torpedoes on the Iowa, and the whole ship was locked up on suspicion of treason after a near miss that would have lost the war in uh, the most 
anticlimactic way possible. So thank you, Purin. And I encourage everyone to look up uh, the USS William D. Porter and see those other four interesting stories yeah. about it. Connor sent us uh, another boat or ship, and that is the story of the unbreakable USS Laffey. Apparently took four bombs and six kamikaze attacks in four hours and somehow stayed afloat. So you can read up <laughs> on that one, too. Thank well, you, Connor. Why did we even have the rest of the Navy? Just send the, the Laffey. Okay, here's a boat we got told about that didn't have anything to do with the Second World War. Yeah. From Alex. Alex is partial to the Exxon Valdez in part because it gave them their job. Uh, Alex works in the shipping industry, helping with paperwork that came from regulations that came from the Exxon Valdez oil spill. So, yeah, if I were in that position, my favorite boat would probably be the boat that puts food on my table. Sure, that makes sense. Glad you're keeping busy. Yeah, and thanks for writing in. Yeah. RJ sent us an email about the Edmund Fitzgerald. Okay. Yeah. Okay, on that lake that they call Gichigumi. So RJ's email stated that like he was sure that we probably like knew about it, but for him it was one of those things that he learned about in school. Mm-hmm. Apparently doing dramatic readings of the Gordon Lightfoot song, which mm-hmm. honestly sounds amazing. I would love to go to an audition and just like do a dramatic interpretation <laughs> of that song. RJ asked a question to our listeners, which I think is a really interesting so question. Listen up, listeners. Since the Edmund Fitzgerald is the most famous shipwreck within the Great Lakes region. Thanks to Gordon Lightfoot. Thanks to Gordon Lightfoot, <laughs> probably. So it's something that RJ, like in history lessons in school, learned a lot about. The question was, do people otherwhere mm-hmm. learn about it as well? Or is it just something specific to the Great Lakes region? So did you learn about that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, in Michigan, you kind of have to. I'm Surprised that the Minnesotans did. If you went to school outside the Great Lakes region and you still learned about the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, let us know. And if you didn't, that's probably a bit more likely. I'd be shocked if any of our international listeners learned about... yeah, an ore freighter that sank in the 70s. I don't know. Maybe Gordon Lightfoot's really popular (laughs) popular somewhere else. I don't know. Maybe. We actually have some fun, like, yeah, yeah. Edmund um, Fitzgerald stories, even though I don't know how, how fun, fun you can associate them. In the Shipwreck Museum in Michigan, there's, of course, plenty about the Fitzgerald. Part of the video package includes uh, videos of the launch, and some of the video of that launch is taken from my grandmother's home movies. So that's kind of cool. We also have an email from Patrick. Mm-hmm. Patrick is a really big fan of the RMS Olympic and the RMS Britannic. Um, they were sister ships to the Titanic. Both were designed to be passenger ships like the Titanic. Um, Maybe not exactly like Well, <laughs> not exactly. Obviously, they, they did a bit better. They were designed to last more than once. The Britannic was refitted to be a hospital ship for World War One, mm-hmm. and the Olympic was used to transport troops. Patrick thinks it's pretty cool because... Considering they were sister ships, like, no one really talks about them. And they actually had quite an interesting career. Fun fact. (laughs) There's a movie about the Britannic. Stop wiggling your eyebrows at me. It's not that kind of movie. I've seen this movie. (laughs) And it stars John Rhys-Davies. Yes, Gimli. Gimli is the captain. I don't remember if it was good, but I watched it. (laughs) Probably, like, 15 years ago. So, uh, again, if you'd like to send in some listener mail, the email address is historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com. And if you just want to help us out and think we might get something wrong with your name, so thanks, Purin, for that uh, uh, pronunciation note. And I'd like to apologize to Jamie from last episode for misgendering you. Sorry! Jamie's a boy, Jamie. (laughs) Sorry, I got a female cousin named Jamie. So I just assume all Jamies are girls. We used no pronouns in Alex's letter, because that could go either <laughs> really way. Really trying. Really <laughs> trying here. Uh, let's see. Prompt for next week. So like we said, I, I'm pinch hitting for episode three, so I know what it's going to be. I would like to hear our listeners' uh, favorite moral panics through history. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, I hope it will be. Uh, I'd also like to remind everybody that we are brand new. We're a little baby show. We're so, a baby. Aww. So little. 
the reaction to episode one was really exciting, really encouraging, and we'd like to continue growing. The best way you can help us do that is to tell a friend about the show. Word of mouth is the most powerful form of advertising there is in this uh, media especially. Mm -hmm. So just uh, send a link to someone you know, a friend, a family member. Invite them to our Facebook Invite page. Invite them to our Facebook page. Yeah. Invite them to our Twitter and just tell them what you like about the show why you're sharing it is it a fact you learned is it a joke you liked probably not this week it, is it just that we're so adorable yeah <laughs> i'm only saying that because a lot of people said we were yeah 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 i'm not like full <laughs> of myself or anything <laughs> no no that's me <laughs> and the best way you can help us uh, get found by strangers is to set a rating uh and give us a review on itunes mm -hmm. on stitcher on I think Google Play does that. We're on yep, all those places. Do. We are listed everywhere you could hope to find us. If you yep. look for a place and we're not listed, send us a message and we will get on there by the end of the day, I promise. Yeah. We are everywhere now. Crazy. Uh, we, we've started having some reviews come in in the U.S. and Great Britain iTunes stores. Mm -hmm. So thanks to you, folk. Yep. And uh, I'm so excited to see more. Mm -hmm. it'll, it'll, it'll really help random people find us. Absolutely. All that there's left to say is... I'm Elena. And I'm Grant. And history's better with, with your, your honey. honey. That's a little much. Okay. <laughs>